Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come this morning with lives of activity and movement. We rush from one thing to another, as though we are going to run out of time to accomplish everything. As we read the scriptures this morning, remind us that there is enough time, time to work, time to play, and time to rest. Amen. The scripture lesson this morning is from Mark 6, 45 through 56. Hear these words. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. They thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. These are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're so glad you decided to worship with us today. Uh, I'm Pastor Thea, and I'm really excited that you decided to participate in this worship experience. Those of you that are joining us here in the sanctuary and those of you that are joining us online, and if this is one of your first visits to Chapelwood, I want to just extend a special welcome to you. No, it's not always easy to walk into a new place of worship, but so glad that you've joined us today. We're in this sermon series, Five Minutes with Mark, where we've asked, maybe challenged you to take just five, at the most, ten minutes a day and read a chapter of Mark. This is not a sermon series to shame you, to make you feel bad about all the ways that you're not meeting the mark. It's not designed to make you more like us, to assimilate you into our behaviors. No, this is an intention to move you closer to God, to invite you to set aside some time for reading, for prayer, for discernment, so that your faith, this gospel truth that you believe, might actually move you. But before we go any further with the message, I would like to first stop and pray. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious, good, all-loving God. Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this space and this place. Thank you, Lord, that your presence is amongst us. In fact, it's your very breath 
that is in our lungs giving us life. And Lord, because of your goodness, because of your willingness to share so much of who you are with us, we trust that when we seek you, we do find you. That when we listen for you, Lord, we will hear you. And God, when we somehow, some way, find the courage and manage to take just the very next small step in faith, you will always lead the way. Because of these truths, oh God, because of your love and your mercy, because of your grace, we surrender our ways and instead try so hard to follow your good and perfect will. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So you're, uh, if you are following our reading plan, then you know that yesterday and today were days off where you could reflect and rest and maybe catch up. And starting tomorrow, we're going to be reading Luke, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 6. And our message today comes from there so that when you get there, you have some things to think about. And from our scripture that we read at the end of chapter 6 today, there's a couple of lines I want to kind of dig a little deeper on. And that first one is this, and when he sent the, after, after he sent them farewell, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Now, we probably need a little more context to better understand what is really going on here. And I'm actually going to draw you back to earlier in chapter 6 in Mark. You see, Jesus called 12 disciples to him. Maybe these were the most elite, or maybe these were just the most willing. And he sent them out on their first missionary journey. He sent them out two by two to, two by two to preach and to teach and to spread the good news. And when they returned, they were tired. They were probably excited and full of stories to tell. And, and Jesus says, let us retreat away for a while. Let us go to a deserted place because you haven't even been able to rest, much less eat. Let's get away and be renewed together. And yet when Jesus and these 12 come upon, come upon this deserted land, there is a crowd waiting for them. This isn't just a casual crowd. This isn't even one of those crazy ones you see in front of the Apple store when a new phone's coming out or Saturdays at HEB. This is a crowd of 5,000. And that's just the men, plus women and children. 5,000 people who are in need, who are sick and who are hungry, who are demon-possessed. And Jesus heals them. We read that this healing must have gone on for several hours into the late afternoon, and one of those disciples says, hey, Jesus, it's getting late, and I don't know about you, we're getting hungry, this crowd's probably getting hungry, won't you just be done for the day and send them away? But Jesus refuses, and then says, suggest you give them something to eat. Well, we don't have anything. We don't have enough money. Don't even dare suggest that. And then after the disciples offer the little that they have, five loaves of bread, two small fish, 
Jesus continues to put those disciples to work and says, put these crowds into manageable groups. I will bless and multiply this food. All will be fed, and then you pick up the leftovers too. And even then, when all of that is complete, the disciples still don't get their retreat. No, Jesus dismisses them, says farewell, and then goes up on the mountain alone to pray. I wonder is as you were making plans for your five minutes with Mark this week, if you too didn't run into some crowds in need, some people, little or large, who were hungry or tired or just needing your attention or your ability to fix whatever they were facing. Maybe you got up early and found yourself on the couch in a comfy chair and had your warm coffee and your Bible in hand and then that little voice heard you stirring and said, Mom, I'm hungry. (laughs) Or maybe you locked yourself in your closet thinking this is the only place that I can get away and yet your phone would not stop dinging as the emails and needs and requests were coming in. And this five little minutes, this little retreat that you had set aside, that you were planning to do, just felt impossible because of the crowds always in need. I remember about seven, eight years ago, very vividly, one morning I was at a Panera Bread. I was there picking up coffee for a volunteer event. It must have been around seven o'clock in the morning on the west side of Houston, at least an hour from home. And I remember this morning very vividly, and I remember I was very frustrated because you see, I was there to pick up two carafes of coffee for some volunteers at an event, and Panera had no idea I was coming. They didn't have this coffee just ready and waiting for me, and I had to wait like four whole minutes for that coffee to be made. And as I stood there, frustrated that my day was already not going as I had planned, I remember looking around, and I noticed these people enjoying their morning. They were just sitting there casually, just welcoming the day. They had no hurriness. They weren't frantic. None of them were nearly as angry as I was. I remember an older man was sitting with a a newspaper, like a real live newspaper with big pages that would make a noise when he turned. I'm sure his fingers were smudgy. There was a couple sitting, looking at each other lovingly over breakfast, smiling and welcoming one another who had shown up. There was even somebody dressed in, uh, you know, work attire with no phone, no laptop, just sitting and enjoying his warm, steaming cup of coffee. And I thought, what is wrong with these people? Who do they think they are? That must be nice to just welcome in the day to just set aside this time to enjoy their morning. I mean, they had to get up, get dressed, leave the house, and still had time to come and just be 
What a privilege. And as I stood there, still so frustrated, I had to recognize we had the same hours in the day. These people didn't have anything more or less than me. And I wonder if that's not how the disciples felt as they were frustrated they couldn't get away. I wonder if that's not how you've felt this week as you've tried to steal away those five minutes and that every time you take a moment for you, someone's pressing in. And I also wonder what it might be like if you embraced the opportunity that even when it's not going our way, even when things change, even when that retreat is pushed down toward the end of the day, that we would welcome that opportunity to go up on the mountain to pray. The next line that I wanted to look at is this line about the disciples being terrified. We read, they all saw him and were terrified. Well, we know from our scripture reading today that Jesus did dismiss the disciples and they got in the boat and they were on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus watched them uh, straining at the oars in the middle of the evening. But in fact, it wasn't until many hours later into the middle of the night that Jesus comes toward them, walking on water. And when they see him, they are terrified. They think it is a ghost. We hear that they cried out from something like the belly with fear, terrified. And I thought to myself, why? Why are they so afraid? I mean, this is Jesus. They know what Jesus looks like. They have spent time with him. Much less, they have witnessed Jesus do some pretty magnificent things. We've seen in those first uh, six chapters of Mark that Jesus has already healed people over and over again. He has uh, cast out demons from people. These demons have kneeled at Jesus' name. He has healed a woman who has been bleeding for over 12 years. He's raised a little girl from the dead. And then they just saw him multiply basically nothing into a meal for thousands. Why? Would they be so afraid? Maybe they're overwhelmed with their own frustration. Maybe their own fatigue, their own hunger, their own disappointment that their day has not gone as they had hoped. And maybe that's why they can't, they don't first imagine that it's Jesus coming toward them. And that's why they're afraid. Or maybe the realization that God is in our presence is terrifying. Think for just a moment the magnificence of God. God of all creation, who has created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon and every galaxy beyond. God who has created every creepy, crawling thing and gives it life. God who holds all science and logic, reasoning and the wonders of biology and as well as the God of all love and goodness, the source of all mercy and justice, compassion, a God who gives us this beautiful gift 
of life and then lets us hold it right in our hands. This God would be coming toward us, would want to be in our presence, would submit to God's self in order to do so. Isn't that the whole gospel? That this God of love, of protection, of amazing provision, of mercy and grace and goodness would pour God's self into the flesh of humanity to be with us, to dwell with us, to walk with us, talk with us, to preach and to teach, to heal, and that this same God would be willing to be crucified and rise again, clarifying that there is nothing that will keep this God from us. That no sin, no shame, no doubt, no rejection, no sickness, no illness, not even the threat of death will keep us from the presence of God. That this love will not be stopped by nothing that we can create, but this God of love will continue to pursue to intervene and intercede, all because God wants to be with us. Isn't that a little terrifying? When Jesus comes to those disciples in the boat, despite their fear, he tells them, don't worry, it's just me. He gets in the boat, and they make it to the other side. And there is another crowd, another crowd of people in need, more who are sick, more who need healing, more who are probably hungry, outcast. And we read that all who touch just the hem of Jesus' garment were healed. All. All who touched it were healed. All. All. That means everyone. Every single person. Not some, not the majority, not those who were chosen, not those who were the most righteous, not those who believed the most, but all. Every single one. All who touched it were healed. That means those who came running at the first mention that this Jesus might be near. It includes those who were doubtful and skeptical but came along just to see if this had any credibility. It includes those who were drugged there on mats because they could not walk themselves. It includes those who have been outcast from society because of their illness or their sin or just because of the crappy things that have happened to them in their life. All who came willing to reach out, willing to kneel, willing to try and see if this Jesus has any reality to it. All who touched it were healed. Not those who only claimed he was Lord, not those who surrendered their whole life, not even just those who were willing to follow, but all who were willing to come and see. All who touched it were healed. 
Jenny Allen is a leader and speaker, a writer, and she is the founder of IF. IF is more than just events. It's more than Bible studies. It's more than a Facebook group that provides lots of motivational and inspiring quotes. Now, IF is a movement. It's a movement to call believers and followers to actually behave like they believe. If is founded under this question, under this idea, if we believe God is true, then what? If we believe the God of our Old and New Testament, the God who pours God's self into the life of Jesus Christ, who dies and is resurrected again, offering us eternal life, if we believe this is real, this is true, then what? If we believe this gospel that we preach and teach and hold as a life-changing aspect of who we are, if we believe this is real, then what will we actually do? If we believe that when we bring our children and our babies to the front and we sprinkle water on them, that something so much more is going on, that we are actually recognizing the fact that God is already at work in this child's life and we are merely responding to that, and that this water now both cleanses us and renews us, welcomes us into the family of God to be called God's children and beloved and to join God's mission of good. If we believe that this is true, then what will we do? If we believe that when we come together to celebrate Holy Communion, that we come to this table more for than just a weird snack just before lunch, but if we're coming in this recognition that God has given us the greatest gift and that through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we are actually redeemed. We are actually made free and given this grace that does not end. It's extended to you and to me and to anyone and all who are willing to receive and that this actually changes us from the inside out. And it's not something that we're told we just get to keep for ourselves, but we are encouraged and commanded to go and share to the world. If we believe this is true, then what? Then what will we do? Friends, we live in some of the best times to be alive, with some of the greatest technology, some of the most magnificent things. And we also live with this truth about the magnificence of God, the real power of grace and goodness and redemption and renewal. And if we believe these things are true, then what will we do? Let's pray. Great, almighty, magnificent God. We are just humans. We are just faulty people who will continually make mistakes, who will schedule a time to be with you and then our day will get away from us. We will be angry and tired. We'll be frustrated and fatigued and yet, oh God, you will still Come to us. 
you will still be willing to join us. You will walk on water to save us, oh God. And God, this is a truth that we hold on to. This is a truth that we sing about, that we pray about, that we teach to our children. And oh God, we know you have revealed all of yourself in order for us to be moved. For us not just to sit and receive and be stagnant, but Lord, to be moved by who you are, to be moved by your spirit, to be moved by your goodness, Lord, to truly be redeemed by your love and to ask ourselves over and over again if this is true. Oh God, what would you have me do? It's only in your heavenly and in your wonderful grace upon grace-filled name that we pray.